Welcome to So What Do You Think, a podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give you our completely unprofessional opinion on them. I'm Jay and with me here is B. Hello. And we are going to do a special, as it happens, breaking news episode tonight because this is a case that we probably had on the list to do soonish, but stuff has been happening in the news. So we need to jump on it before the mystery is solved. And that is the case of the Somerton man. So if the mystery is solved. So this is all over the uh, news at the moment, just because it is a case where it's been going on for about 70 years now. Nobody knows what it's all about, but they've just exhumed his body. So what do you know about it so far? Yeah, that it happened a long time ago, that they don't know who he is. He was never identified um i think it was in south australia or something that it happened Mm -hmm. uh there was maybe one person that they questioned but it wasn't even like a questioning it was more like hey you might know this guy any tips on who he is something about a um a message or a code or something as well yeah yeah that's That's a few points from it yeah yeah Okay, so for all of you out there who have seen this in the news lately, we're going to give you a bit of a breakdown of what the Somerton Man case is all about because it is one of those classic Australian true crime sort of unsolved mysteries. So so let's get into it. On December 1st, 1948, in the early hours of the morning, a man's body was discovered on Somerton Park Beach near Glenelg, 11 kilometres southwest of Adelaide. Now, he was down on the beach laying with his back up against the sea wall, which is like a brick retaining wall sort of structure. So his upper back and head were upright and the rest of his body was sort of laid out, stretched on the sand with his feet crossed. A cigarette was found on the right collar of his coat, like he had sort of passed out before he had a chance to smoke it. Among his possessions that were found on his actual person was a packet of cigarettes and the packet was Army Club brand, although... Inside, the actual cigarettes themselves were all different brands. A metal hair comb, a bus ticket, an unused rail ticket, a quarter full box of matches, and half an empty packet of juicy fruit chewing gum. So word soon got out about this strange and unknown man, which in turn led to a few people coming forward as witnesses. Now, the early assumptions from the police, I think, were that this had been a suicide. A guy had just gone down to the beach and he'd he'd taken his own life. So they did do have to do their due diligence, though, and they sort of asked for people to come forward if they'd seen anything. A few people said that the night before they had seen the man in that spot, but he still appeared to be alive at that point. One couple said that they saw him there at about 7 p.m., and they had seen him moving. He actually extended his arm out to the side and then dropped it. Another couple sat near him between 7.30 and 8 and said that he appeared to be maybe like blackout drunk or really, really tired for some reason because he just wasn't reacting to all the mosquitoes that were there that night. That was the one thing they remembered because they were getting absolutely eaten alive and he just wasn't even changing positions at that time. Um, But they did say that they did think that he was still alive then because when they first saw him to when they last saw him he had slightly changed position so they must have really been paying pretty close attention to him I'd say (laughs) probably looking at him like why is this guy not reacting to these ridiculous mosquitoes (laughs) that's it someone even said that they saw a man standing up on the steps that go down to the beach and looking down on this guy uh, which 
legit to me. If I saw some crazy weird dude getting eaten by a mozzie's just laying there, I'd be like, hello, <laughs> are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, another strange witness account from a man came who came forward years later. He said he saw a man carrying another man on over his shoulder that night on that beach. So he actually saw somebody walking along the beach with oh, a man over his shoulder. <laughs> Why don't people come forward with this information? I know, I know. It was 11 years later that he came forward with this information. That, to me, just makes him not so credible because that's not something you hold on to. It's not like it wouldn't have been all over the news at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and you would have seen it and been like, hey, that was the night that I saw the guy with the guy over his arm. <laughs> so Which I didn't think was weird until now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I really don't know how credible that information was. Some notes on the investigation of him at that point. He was wearing a white shirt, a tie that was red, white, and blue. Some some accounts say he was wearing shoes and socks. Others say it was just shoes. So I don't know how credible all of that is. Uh, He also had a grey and brown double-breasted jacket, and that was from America, that brand. All of the labels from his clothes were missing, and it was also noticed that he was not wearing a hat, which in 1948 was tantamount to being naked for a man. You had to wear a hat when you left the house. They couldn't find a wallet or any other sort of identification. And it was just a mystery as to who this guy was. So the autopsy showed that he had likely ingested some sort of poison, although none was found, but there was organ damage that suggested that poison had been taken, but no hard evidence there. So no official cause of death was listed at the time. They embalmed him and buried him as an unknown person. Now, a couple of weeks later, a suitcase was found in the cloakroom at Adelaide train station, and it piqued the curiosity of officials because it had the label removed from it. And it was open as well. It hadn't been locked. So, of course, they opened it, had a little bit of a sticky beak as to what was going on inside. Now, it had a variety of clothing inside, as well as an electrical screwdriver, a modified knife, a pair of scissors, a protective sheath made from zinc from the knife and scissors, and a brush used for stenciling cargo ships. Very, very random stuff in there. Like what? Yeah, I don't know how they all go through together. They also found some thread that would have been used to repair clothes and some pencils and other stationery. That's an interesting booty there very varied in what what all the things are a couple of the different items had the name t keen on them as well so straight away police decided that this suitcase must belong to the man that was found on the Somerton beach and they looked to see what else they could find out about him i don't know why they made that connection straight away it may just be that this sort of thing never happened around that time in that place and they connected two weird things together that were, were happening around the same time. In investigating, they deduced that his these were his following movements. Now, he'd arrived in Adelaide from either Melbourne, Sydney or Port Augusta. Again, very different places. Don't know why it was one of those three. Mm-hmm. He showered at the city baths near the train station. He returned to the train station where he bought a ticket to Henley Beach which he never used. That was one of the things that was found on him. Mm-hmm. He then checked his luggage at the station and cloak station cloakroom and caught a bus to Glenelg Beach, where he ultimately was to have his life ended. So big mystery. Why did this guy do all of these things? 
About six months later, in June 1949, an inquest was held into the man to try and work out who the hell he was and how he died. The body was re-examined at this time and a few new bits of evidence were discovered. Firstly was that his shoes seemed just too clean and polished for someone walking around all day and especially somebody walking on the beach. The speculation here was that he was actually brought to the beach by someone rather than walking there himself. So um, again, that guy, the weird guy that told us 11 years later that he saw someone carrying a guy, maybe he was being truthful. I don't know. Maybe that is something to back that up. It was also backed up by the fact that they found no vomit near his body, which you would expect in a poisoning situation. However, the actual poison could still not be detected. So there was that was just a theory that he'd been poisoned. And even with the second autopsy, autopsy a cause of death couldn't be found. So while all of these investigations were going on, another discovery was made with a small piece of paper being found in his trouser pocket. It appears to have been torn off another larger piece of paper and all it said was tamam shud, which translates to finished. It was found to have been torn from the last page of the book, The Rubaiyat by Omar Kunyam. So the police put out the word for people to look for copies of this book with that section torn out. And someone actually came forward. A man claimed that he found the book on the back seat of his unlocked car in Glenelg around the time that this man was found. Now, in the back of the book were indentations of five lines of text that are, to me, complete gibberish, but some people have said there's some sort of code. And the little back passage, like a little section of the back page, had been torn out, which is where these words apparently came from. So amazingly, it looked like it was actually the book that they were looking for. As far as this code goes, I'll post a photo of it. Code experts have made many attempts to decipher the writing, but nobody's ever had any luck. It's possible that it really just was gibberish or he had some sort of weird shorthand that he wrote to himself or something like that. Now, also in the back of the book was a phone number and it turned out to to belong to a woman called Jessica Thompson. She was a nurse who lived in Glenelg, not even half a kilometre from where he was found, so walking distance. Police interviewed her straight away, but she denied knowing who he was, knowing anything about it. She did say that in late 1948, a man who was never identified did come looking for her because she knew this because her next door neighbour told her that he went and knocked on her door, but she wasn't home at the time. This is what she said. But investigators got the sense that she knew more than she was letting on. She even requested that police never release her name in relation to the case. So that was a little bit weird as well. Now, they ended up taking a plaster cast of the man so that they could go around showing people what he might have looked like in 3D. They showed her, and when she saw it, she apparently had quite the reaction to it, with witnesses saying that she was completely shocked and nearly fainted, and then apparently she looked away and refused to look back at it again. So to me, that sounds like she may have known more than she was letting on. Yeah. No way. Like, (laughs) I just the Wow, no words. (laughs) Yeah, there's no other reason to have that sort of reaction to it. That's a person looking at you that you know and didn't realise was dead maybe or or something similar. Yeah, I'm looking into Jessica further because why wouldn't you, given all of that? Mm -hmm. The police discovered that she had worked in Sydney's Royal North Shore Hospital during World War II. And during this time, she had met an army lieutenant named Alf Boxall, 
who it sounds like she may have formed some sort of relationship with. She actually confessed that she gave him a copy of the Rubaiyat too. So they were all over this info. Obviously, they're like, well, okay, here we go. We've got our guy. We've got our guy. Apparently, it was her favorite book. So she gave him a copy of it. It was like, it's like a book of like love poems or poems, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like a storybook or anything like that. Yeah. So she's met this guy in Sydney. She's given him the book. So they're like, boom, got to be the guy, right? Yeah. So pretty quickly, I think it was decided that our Summerton man was good old Alfie. And she even said that he had tried to contact her after the war, but she told him that she was already married at that time. Unfortunately, Alf was eventually tracked down and was very much alive. And his copy of the Rubaiyat still had its last page there. So what do you think so far? Why did she react that way? Um, She has to have known him somehow. Whether she's involved, I don't know. I'm thinking I I like the theory of she does know him, she didn't know he was dead, and that's why she was shocked. Yeah, I'm going with that so far. Okay, all right. Theory so far. Theory so far. One of the most popular theories, and I think this comes down to the whole is that a code in the back of the book thing, was that he may have been a spy. Now, I mean. Yes, I've heard heard this part of it before. Yeah, Um, it does. It does have the makings of a spy story. Like it's very Ooh. mysterious, you know, the the removing of the name of the clothes and, you know, Ooh. all of that sort of thing. And, and the, the, um, the paper saying finished. Yep, yep. Piss someone off. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You upset the wrong people. Mm-hmm. In, in that area apparently there's the Radium Hill uranium mine and the Woomera test range, both that have been involved in spy activity in the past. So, again maybe yep. spy stuff it was right post world war ii remember so yeah we've got a lot of stuff going on with russia with other communist countries like there's there's stuff going on in the world at the moment it's not like you know there was it was the end of the war and then that was it everyone was fine and dandy afterwards there was stuff going on all happening in adelaide that's weird yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so what's more alf boxall looked like he may have actually been involved in spy activity Someone sort of looked into it a little bit further on and it sounds as though he may have checked out as having something higher up going on. So then we have the reports of the employees of the Strathmore Hotel, which is just opposite the Adelaide train station. They said that they did have a strange man staying there around that time who checked out on the 30th of November. So that's the day that he would have gone down to Glenelg. The receptionist says that he spoke English and he carried a small black doctor's bag with him. Now, this must have interested the hotel employees because they had a bit of a sneaky peek inside the bag at some point and they saw that all it had inside it was a needle-like object. So, again, mysterious, strange, don't know. Mm -hmm. Did it have a poison in it? Did it have something? I don't know. Yeah. So A a needle-like object. So that to me says it wasn't obviously a needle because everyone knows what a needle looks like. Yeah, I know. But it was something sort of like a needle, which could have been like a a vessel or a vial of something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Over the years, a few different people have come forward with possible identifications. Now, someone said that they had a drink in a pub with someone who looked like the man and saw his military pension card and it had the name Solomonson on it. That never came to anything, though. And, I mean... Having a drink with someone that looked like the guy, that's not really a very strong lead in my mind. 
And if you're just having a drink in the pub with people that you don't know, probably not going to trust, trust what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in 1949, three people claimed that this guy was definitely their mate, Robert. His name was Robert Walsh. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's Rob. That's Robbo. That's the mate, Robbo. <laughs> they, they saw a picture and they went, hey, that's Robbo. Bloody hell, that's where he's been. Hasn't been down the pub in a while. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so Robert Walsh used to be a woodcutter with these people and he had disappeared about 18 months earlier. He'd gone to get new work or go do something and nobody had seen him since. So they were like, that's Rob. Um, and, and the police actually did think that they had the case, case solved at this point. The, the friends were quite insistent about it. Um, but when they actually came and, uh, and had a look at the body, they let them see the body. He didn't have a scar that Robbo had. So it was oh, like, oh, Robbo oh. had a scar. Yeah, that's it. So no, no dice there. Yeah, no, no, no scar, no Robbo. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps the one key bit of info that they had to go on other than his possessions, though, was the fact that he actually had huge calf muscles. Now, this sounds really weird. And it's like when I first read it, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to take that information. I know. But if you listen to why it's important, so not only did he have huge calf muscles, but he also had toes that kind of formed a point. So everyone reckons that this is what ballerina or male ballet dancers look like. They've got the huge calf muscles and their toes have been formed into points. So it was suggested that he could have been a ballet dancer. Apparently the experts have weighed in and, the, and it's a thing. So, although it does sound funny. Imagine ballet, that. Ballet, like, dancer by yeah. ballet dancer by day, spy by night. Maybe. Hey, look, stranger things have happened. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there was also someone who he obviously left behind in Adelaide because someone would actually leave flowers on his grave quite regularly for years. And I think that at one stage, I don't know why they didn't, scope this out better maybe it was like not a regular thing maybe it was every now and then but apparently a woman was seen leaving the the cemetery one day and they asked her um do you know the guy and she was like what no don't know what you're talking about why are you putting flowers on your grave on his grave if you don't know him yeah are you just like a good samaritan that feels sorry for him or and why are these police so like blase like show this woman a mask of the guy and she nearly passes out ask a woman if she knows the guy that she's putting the flowers on the grave and oh no I don't and then they don't follow it up any further like yeah and there's no mention as to whether it was the same woman or not like yeah it just seems as though but remember this is back in the 40s and they didn't have as advanced sort of technologies or anything back then and by all accounts it sounds like the police really did strongly suggest this Jessica lady but they just didn't have any proof once again it looked like it could have been solved in 2011 when a woman from Adelaide found an old ID card in her father's belongings and the picture on the card looked exactly like the mystery man experts even at the time went as far to conduct an official analysis and said that they were happy to say that it was a positive identification however they discovered that the card belonged to a man called Horace Charles Reynolds and he died in 1953 so there was a dead end there too Yeah, there's been a lot of, oh my gosh, oh bugger, sort of situations in this case. Mm. Now, the most promising development happened very recently. So in 2009, Professor Derek Abbott from the University of Adelaide decided that 
that's it. I'm, I'm solving this. I'm going to take a deep dive here and I'm just going to sort this out. Good on him. Like someone's got to do it. Yeah. He primarily looked at cracking the code from the book, but also started campaigning for the exhumation of the body in order for the DNA to be extracted, which is the reason why that, that petition has been successful now. So it's down to him having finally 12 years later succeeded in getting the government to let it happen. Took 12 years to do that. Yeah. And I'm, I believe that the people that want it done have actually financed it too. So they've not even expected the government to finance it. Wow. So, yeah, so that's where we're at now and they finally exhumed him. So that's where we sort of go, all right, let's wait and see. But the story doesn't end there because there's more information. A side point, though, that as well as Dr. Abbott or Professor Abbott, we also have one of his colleagues, Professor Macy Henneberg, who um, lectures anatomy at the same university. He also got involved and he started looking for distinguishing marks and physiological features of the guy to see whether he could find any clues that way. And he actually found two different things. Firstly, he looked at his ears because apparently ears are much like fingerprints. They're very, very different in everyone. So they actually do photo identifications using ears quite a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. He found that on the Somerton Man, the upper hollow or his Simba is larger than his lower hollow or his cavum um, on his ear. Apparently only one to 2% of Caucasian people have this feature. So that kind of narrows the pool of people we're looking at. Mm -hmm. He also consulted with dental experts. Apparently the Somerton man was missing all of his back molars. So that's quite rare. Although back then people did have their teeth pulled out a lot more regularly than they do nowadays. The teeth that he did have, he consulted with the dental experts and found that he had a condition called hyperdontia. This is where his lateral incisors were missing. And this is something that's only experienced by around 2% of the population as well. So when you add the two together, like your variables are quite high, that this guy's quite unique. Clearly someone couldn't get past the whole Jennifer Thompson connection and looked a little bit further into her as well and found out that at the time of the Somerton man's death, she actually had a 16-month-old son who also had the ear thing and the tooth thing. What? yeah no way yeah so the chance of this being a coincidence is somewhere between one in 10 to 20 million bloody hell he would still be alive well when he died the the child was 16 months old so yeah if she knew him before yeah so that's his son where's his son yeah well that was the the implications was that this guy could be why aren't we getting his dna yeah, well, let's keep going. So okay. although this son, who is a, name, a man named Robin, uh, died in 2009, we still have access to his relatives. So he's got a daughter. So this is actually the magic bullet we're looking for. So with this exhumation, we've got actual DNA to compare to as well. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting as well that both Robin and his daughter, Rachel, both had a natural passion for ballet. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, adding to the list of things that make this sound likely. So adding fuel to this uh, Jessica connection is the daughter of the woman, uh, which is Robin's sister, who said that she does recall her mother being spoken to by the police at around that time. And she told her afterwards that she'd actually lied to them. And she revealed to her that the Somerton man was actually at a level higher than the police force. She seems to think that her mother and the Somerton man were spies and that her mother could actually, she actually said that her mother could speak Russian, which 
I've found conflicting evidence as to whether or not that's true. Um, but she was also interested in communism as well. So we've got to put that up there as a question mark, I guess. So I got onto a Reddit thread, which was run by Professor Abbott, which was sort of like an ask me anything thread. And mm -hmm. he offered the following extra info. So he believes that it's a possibility that the Summerton man wasn't poisoned at all. Uh, he just reckons there's not enough evidence to suggest that he was and that he was potentially already unwell. So his spleen apparently was like three times the size it should have been. And there's mm -hmm. a few different diseases that can cause that. So he was already unwell. He went to lay down on the beach and he died of positional asphyxia. Hmm. That's his theory. And he's sort of the guy that's looked into this the most intensely. So we have to listen to that. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? They were Russian spies that fell in love and had a baby, but then something happened and she left and then he went looking for her. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of gives us a likely backstory, but it doesn't really. The backstory, but it doesn't tell you why it happened. Yeah, and how and everything. Maybe it was because, um, so maybe he did die of natural causes, but given his background, she didn't want to say anything mm -hmm. because she has herself and her child to protect, her children to protect. Yeah, and maybe that was why she, and like I said, I think that she, knew him but didn't know he had passed and then obviously her reaction is completely understandable because like even if they weren't together or she didn't love him anymore he was still potentially the father of her child mm. yeah I or think maybe the fear of like what's happened to him might happen to me mm -hmm. as well I want yeah, to know I think, I think it's plausible I think that you know you we're coming close to understanding exactly what that backstory is and Look, I guess we can say that it sounds likely that this guy is Robin's biological father, just given <laughs> all of the information that we have, all of yeah. that. And, you know, he may have come to Glenelg to find Jessica and, um, you know, maybe mm. something, some sort of operation he was on was preventing him from being with her at the time and now he was available um, and he went to find her. And but the beach is only a five-minute walk from her house. And the Rubaiyat was her favourite book, so it's possible that he bought a copy with him to give to her as like a show of his love for her. Mm -hmm. And then that would account for why he disposed of it seemingly on the way down to the beach. So he may mm -hmm. have just sort of torn out that last page and been like, well, stuff this. I thought that I've been waiting for this love or whatever and now yeah. she's rejected me. Strangely to me, there's no mention of whether or not he was drunk or if alcohol was found in his system because if so, that might explain that positional asphyxia story as well. So yeah. I find it hard to believe someone just goes to sleep of their own volition and dies of positional um, asphyxia because yeah. usually there's some sort of like substance that you're under yeah. the influence of. Yeah, yeah. And maybe the state of his organs wasn't due to poisoning acutely. Maybe it was more like chronic poisoning if he had alcoholism or something like that. Yeah. So did he come to find a long lost love and get turned down and drive and drink away his sorrows only just to die accidentally on the beach? Or some other people have sort of said maybe Jessica saw him and was like, well, you cannot come into my life. You're going to stuff up my marriage. And she killed him. Or maybe. Married? Husband, yeah. So she was married and had like uh, her husband. It was never said outright that her husband wasn't the father of Robin, but 
people had come forward afterwards and said um, that she had mentioned that he was going to raise him as his own son. So okay. she'd gotten married since. Okay. okay. Yeah, so maybe, you know, did she kill him? If she was a spy, would she just have poison laying around the house? You know, like that's that pushes it into um, far-fetched territory for me because poison yeah. is not something you're just keeping around your house. Yeah. It just seems so weird there was this time that wasn't really that long ago where it was just like these random people being Russian spies. Yeah, that's it. Like the whole Russia thing is so far yeah. for us because, you know, it's not really been a thing in our adulthood at least no and I mean also you could think that maybe he did reunite with her and she was happy to see him again and maybe the husband walked in on something maybe he had something to do with it you know maybe he was the guy carrying a man over his shoulder down at the beach I don't know yeah and you never know with that whole throwing of the book in the back of the car maybe it wasn't thrown in the back of the car maybe it fell out of his pocket or something and somebody just came across it and assumed it was to go into the car that it was near or something yeah yeah so were they spies who had some sort of knowledge and they were killed for that as well is another theory too yeah. um, you know maybe they just knew too much and someone tracked them down that kind of goes more into you know watching a movie territory yeah the dna may hopefully confirm or deny the first theory possibly who he was as far as DNA goes. So as far as um, genetically, he could be Robin's father, in which case we know that there was a link between him and Jessica. But it's not going to tell us where he came from. Um, It's not going to tell us who he was, you know, job-wise or anything like that. Well, yeah, no. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that some of this mystery can be solved, but not all of it. No. And they actually, um, when they did the bust of him so that they could throw the, show the 3D image of him, yeah. it actually pulled out some of his hairs. So they actually already had some DNA over the last few years and they sent it off for analysis and they could only get mitochondrial DNA from it. So mitochondrial DNA is not one that's going to say, this is who this person is. Mm-hmm. It tells you more about your mother's bloodline, I think. So it, what it could tell the scientists is that he was from England. Like it could sort of map where he came from. So yeah. he was English. So that sort of kills the whole, was he Russian? You know, was he part of some other country or something like that? So it does yeah. look like he was an English guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so to throw another grenade into the mix, I found an online info source that says that in 1945, so three years earlier, a Singaporean man named George Marshall was found dead from poisoning with a copy of the Rubaiyat next to him in Sydney. And what's more, Jessica was training to be a nurse in Sydney at that time. Now, I'm not sure how accurate this source is because there were no clear sort of references to it, but this is something that's out there as well. Very interesting nonetheless. She's ruthless. (laughs) Yeah, if she did it, yeah, for sure. It's her calling card, the book. Yeah, the book, I know. Some sort of black widow. So, So, yeah, I just think that um, I'm so looking forward to seeing what the DNA brings. Um, And I think that it's definitely going to tell us that he is Robin's father because there seems to be a lot of similarities there. But who was he? That we may never know. I don't think we'll ever know. Because if it was like a spy story, you're never going to have access to that information. I just hope that we can find out who this guy was. And, you know, maybe that happens through like an ancestry.com sort of situation like maybe we can log his dna into a database and see if we get any relatives come up 
a lot yeah. of crimes are being solved that solved that way at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, I think I hope that that is the outcome of getting this DNA, and I hope we can get the DNA. He has been embalmed, but they say that perhaps his teeth. Apparently, teeth are quite good at extracting DNA from. So we'll just have to wait and see. Mm. Yeah, we will be waiting. We will, and um, if it's anything exciting, we'll have to post an update episode and let everyone cool. know. Yeah. Yeah. See them more to be added to the story. I know. I hope so because it's one of those weird ones that uh, it really could be anything. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If you have any thoughts on who you think the Submitted Man is or any thoughts on the whole DNA situation or the code or anything like that, please do comment on our Facebook or Instagram posts. And, yeah, let's continue the conversation about the Submitted Man. All right. See you and good night, everyone. Night.